Um, we are starting uh, today with our launch Sunday, um, a new uh, sermon series. And this sermon series, um, it kicks off for us several sermon series where we will be journeying through together in the book of Matthew, beginning with Matthew chapter 16, working through the end of the book. And on Easter Sunday, by design, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as we end the study of Matthew's gospel. But this is important for us as we turn to Matthew chapter 16. We are starting this series called the Upside Down Kingdom. And what we see here in this text is that the disciples that had been following Jesus were so excited for all of the momentum that had been picking up along the way. And now for the first time, Jesus begins talking about the cross. And for them, everything gets turned upside down. And so I want to invite my friend Stephen um, who ha- he and I share a deep love for Jesus and a deep love for a football team that is on by this weekend, thankfully, uh, during the playoffs, right, on launch Sunday weekend. But uh, I want to invite him to read for us Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 uh, through 25, as we'll be studying that together uh, today. You can grab this mic here. Y'all bear with me. Uh, I don't know what it is about New York, but it, I've been in this service twice, and each time I cry a lot. So, <laughs> right. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 25. When Jesus came to the region Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But but you, he asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed you are, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he gave... the disciples' orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and to be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For... Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. 
the launch here of uh, One Community Church, January the 16th, 2022, a new church is born. This journey, though, began for my wife almost four years ago in 2018, where we sensed that God was doing a new work in us. You see, we got to know our neighbors here in this community, and we began asking the question, where is the church for them? We wanted to see a church in this community, in this neighborhood, that would be built, that the, the neighborhood itself would be thankful that it existed, whether they came to the church or not. And we didn't know that that, that work that God was birthing in our hearts would be a calling for us to then plant this church. But God began that, and then soon after, we asked people in the beginning of 2019 to start praying for us, to speak wisdom into us as we were sensing from the Lord to plant one community church. And, and we then went through an assessment um, to be church planting people with the North American Mission Board. And some of the people from, from NAM are here in the room. And we went through that assessment. And by March of 2019, we were official church planters. So we began building a team of people that we called a core team, a launch team. And we started putting, putting together plans, putting together a strategy, <laughs> putting together vision, values, all of that, a cool church logo, all the things that you do when you start to plan for planting a church. And by the end of 2019, we had circled a date on the calendar, Easter of 2020. That's when we were going to launch. Of course, we know what happened in 2020 as the pandemic hit the world and everything was turned upside down. We didn't know what God was doing. I mean, we had gained so much momentum. Matter of fact, we even had a lease on a space that we were going to use for community outreach and also for small gatherings. We had planned, we had prayed, we had prepped, we had strategy, we had people. We were ready to go. This was the moment, and then our world was turned upside down, and we were left with so many questions. God, what are you doing? What is this about? Why now? Why this? It kind of reminds me of what we step into as we see Matthew chapter 16, because the disciples had been a part of Jesus' ministry in the Galilean region up until this point. And they had seen him do so many amazing things. I mean, Jesus was teaching to the crowds, and they were coming to hear from him because he was teaching like nobody else they had ever heard. The thousands were coming, the multitudes were coming, and they were fed by him when he, when he turned fish and he turned, he turned bread into enough food to feed thousands of people. Miracles were being performed. The multitudes were coming to be healed from him. The blind were able to see again. The lame were able to walk again. The demon-possessed were set free. There was so much momentum happening in this movement of the kingdom. And the disciples were excited to be a part of it all. The front row seats of seeing Jesus do ministry. Matter of fact, many times they got to be a part of the ministry themselves. And so they've been gaining all this momentum. And you see, even within Matthew chapter 16, this crescendo of what begins to take place. Jesus asked the disciples in the midst of all of this, who do they say that I am? And they respond to him. They give him an answer here in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. This is good. This is honoring. 
Some say that you are like the great prophets of old, like Jeremiah and Elijah and John the Baptist. This is great. This is good. This is what the crowds are saying. But we know that Jesus is much more than that, don't we? And so he asked again, but you, who do you say that I am? Simon, Peter, the leader of the disciples, he stands up kind of on behalf of the, of the disciples and he speaks. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is the first time in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is referred to as the Messiah, the son of the living God. What Peter is saying is that you are the one that we have been waiting for. You're much more than a prophet. You're much more than a great teacher. You're much more than a miracle worker. You are the Messiah that we have been waiting for for over 400 years. The one that would come to save, to rescue us, to liberate us out of the persecution and oppression of the Roman government. You are the one that has come to save and to set us free, to reestablish in the place where we can have power again where we can be a people again, a whole people again. This was the moment that they had been waiting for. And Peter, guess what? He got it right, <laughs> didn't he? At least in part. Because Jesus says, this was not something that you came up with, but this was something that was revealed from heaven. And then, again, it begins to crescendo. It begins to get a little louder. As we continue to see here in Matthew chapter 16, Peter is there before Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Peter, you got it right. And I'm doing something brand new in your midst. I'm launching a church. I'm building my church. All of this momentum, all of what we're doing, all of this ministry, it is leading to something miraculous where I'm pulling together a people to launch my church, to build my church. Blessed are you, because this church, not even the gates of Hades, not even death itself will overcome it. And he says, this church, let me tell you more about it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. This church is going to be the representation of the kingdom of God on earth. Can you just think about this for a moment? These disciples that have been following after him, seeing these miracles perform, seeing these healings taking place, hearing Jesus teach knowing the momentum that has been picked up in this kingdom movement that is going to result in a church that's going to be built, that points others to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, literally meeting the kingdom of earth. This was an important moment. The momentum has just been picked up. The crescendo was loud. This was the moment that they had been waiting for. And then, in verse 21, everything changes. I don't know how many, how many musicals you've been to. I've been to a few. I don't know some of you in this room have been to some Broadway shows just around the corner to some of the shows that are there. 
When you go to a musical, there are two parts, usually, within, within the show. There's act one, and there's act two. And typically what takes place in act one is that the characters are introduced, the plot is developed, and it begins to crescendo throughout the entire act until the last part of act one is generally like the biggest number of the whole thing, the biggest musical moment, right? It's like the, what you're waiting for at that moment. And then at the end of act one, generally what happens is that there is a new development entered into the plot. And sometimes it's a plot twist that you didn't expect, that you didn't see coming, because it's supposed to make you think, I got to be here for act two <laughs> to find out what that was about. Here's that moment where everything changes for the disciples. From then on, after all of this momentum had been built, after Jesus talked about building his church, after Jesus talked about giving the keys to the kingdom to, the, to Peter and the disciples, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Close curtain. Intermission, go to the restrooms, get your concessions. What just happened? Jesus just said that he's going to go to Jerusalem. It's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to die, to be killed. This was not what they expected. This was not in the plan. This is not what they were wanting. No way is this going to happen. There's all this momentum that has been picked up, all this movement that was taking place in front of them. What they had been longing for was happening. And now Jesus, the one that they were following, just said that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. This is not what we signed up for. This is not what we want. This is not what we are about. And Peter, what does he do? He pulls Jesus aside and he begins to what? To rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. I had the privilege of hanging out with my, my nephews over Christmas. And my youngest one is four. And he's gotten into this habit with his parents and with others that are trying to be parental in his life. If they ask him to do something he doesn't want to do, he says no. <laughs> and then when you try to talk to him about it, he takes it a step further. And he sticks up his hand, and he says, no, don't talk to me. I don't know which Paul Patrol episode he got that from, but no, don't talk to me. This is much more than a child rebuking a parent, isn't it? Peter just said, you are the son of the living God. You're not even born of man. You are born of, you are God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is the created rebuking the creator, saying, God, that's not going to happen. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. We're not going to Jerusalem, and you're not going to be killed. No, this is not going to happen to you. Don't talk to me about this. This is not the plan. This is not where we're going. This is not what all of this is about. Before we get on Peter's case, maybe it's 
appropriate for us to think sober-mindedly about ourselves. If you're anything like me, there's probably a few times in your life where you've been tracking with Jesus, following after him, going wherever he may call you to go, and then something unexpected happens in your life, something that you do not like, and you take a step back. Not following you there, Jesus. Not going there with you. What happens is that we start giving Jesus ultimatums a lot of times. Well, if you want me to go there, then you're going to have to do this. Or if you don't want me to do this, then you need to do this in my life. What happens there is that we have the mindset of Peter, and it's appropriate for us to say that we even have something that's very satanic happening that we are trying to take the place of who God is. I'm not going to give you the full backstory of Satan because there's not a lot in the Bible of the backstory, but what we do know is that he's a fallen angel and that with pride and arrogance, he tried to take the place of God. And so what does Jesus say to Peter? As the created is talking to the creator in this way, Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you are a hindrance to me. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. It seems pretty valid that Peter should have some concerns about this. I mean, he just gave up his life and everything that he knew to follow after Jesus. And now Jesus is talking. The one he's following is talking about going to Jerusalem and being killed. It's pretty valid that Peter has some concerns here, right? Matter of fact, Peter has just been blessed and been called the rock and been told that on you, I will build my church. Peter was being raised up as a leader in which he would be leading the other disciples. He'd be one of the first pastors. Peter has some concerns here that are pretty valid as he's actually going to be leading the other disciples for himself and for the others. And Peter has some valid concerns for Jesus, that Jesus is now preparing to go and to be killed in Jerusalem. The truth is, is that no one is more concerned about our lives. No one is more concerned about Peter and the disciples. No one is more concerned about Jesus than God. No one. And God is concerned because he knows that for us to be a part of the kingdom movement that Jesus has been ushering in, for us to be a part of the church that he is building, that he is launching, that the cross itself is necessary. It is necessary that Jesus go to Jerusalem and go to the cross to die. Because at the cross, everything is changed. And what happens is that you and I, our lives are then turned upside down and changed forever so that we can be the people that God is calling us to be. The cross is necessary. For on the cross, our sin, our pride, our arrogance, those places where we have tried to be God, where we have tried to call the shots, where we have tried to tell God what to do, on the cross, Jesus died for those things. He died for those things so that we could be forgiven but the good news of the gospel is this, 
that it wasn't just about him dying, but it also was about the resurrection, the new life that we find in him, that he is given to us through the power of the cross and his resurrection, that he came back to life after three days. You know, he actually shared that with his disciples, didn't he? He wasn't just talking about the cross. Read this with me again. Verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and what? Be raised the third day. You see, the disciples, they're thinking about their lives and all of this momentum that they've gained in this ministry. And they're thinking about where all of this is headed. And in this moment, their world gets turned upside down. And what Jesus is wanting to do is not change their circumstances, not change their world. Now, this is bigger than setting them free from persecution and oppression. What Jesus is wanting to do is to change them. I think sometimes when we're following after Jesus and we kind of give that hesitation or we give that ultimatum to him, what happens is that we're asking the Lord to change our circumstances instead of changing us. And the kingdom work needs to happen within through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. I love how it's said in 1 Corinthians. I think we can put it on the screen here for you. This is 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness. People that just think of, people that just see it as death and all they know is death, it's just foolish. Why would the Savior go to the cross and just die? Just like everybody else, it's foolishness. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. The cross itself is the place where you and I, where we get changed, where we get turned ourselves upside down so that we can be right side up with the upside down kingdom. That's the work that Jesus is wanting to do in our lives to make us brand new people. And the cross itself is necessary. It is necessary that Jesus go to Jerusalem and to be killed. And we at One Community Church, we will always hold up the cross of Jesus. It is what we are about. It is who we are about. It is where we have found our salvation. And let me just tell you, like, we can put on a cool worship service. That's great. We will continue to do this. Even next week, for the first time, I can say we're doing it next week. We're going to keep doing this, right? We can, we're gonna, it's going to be great. <laughs> we're going to meet together in small groups, and that's going to be fantastic for us to meet in apartments and to, and to see what discipleship is about as we engage in, in missional living. We're going to continue to be out in the community making a difference, picking up trash, handing out hand warmers, making sure that the neighborhood is glad that we exist. We're going to continue to do that. All that is great. But let me tell you what all of it is about. It is about the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what all of this movement is about. That's what the momentum is about. We are all pointing to Jesus in everything that we are doing. And it is necessary, it is necessary that Jesus go to Jerusalem and be killed and be raised on the third day because that changes everything for us. Changes everything. It's what we are about.
It's who we are. It's why we can be one community. What is our response? I think Jesus gives a pretty good one to his disciples. Verse 24, after Jesus has talked about the cross and has talked about being raised again, he says to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me, he will find it. I didn't mention this at the beginning because I was holding on to it for this moment. But at the beginning of the text that we read in verse 13, it says that they came to this region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, we don't know a lot about Caesarea Philippi and what they did there. We just kind of know this story. This took place in Caesarea Philippi. It's at the top of the Galilean region where they have been doing ministry, the northernmost part. And most of their ministry took place in this Galilean region in Jewish culture, in, in Jewish neighborhoods. Here, they go to Caesarea Philippi, and it's Gentile, it's Greek, it's Hellenistic, meaning that it's worshiping many gods. And the relationship that people had with God within a Hellenistic culture, within Caesarea Philippi, is that the people sacrificed to these gods so that they could appease the gods so that they would not be killed. That was the relationship. That's what the worship was about. They would sacrifice so that the gods would not kill them. That's what was going on there. Let me ask you, who's the savior in that? Humanity, right? <laughs> Trying to save ourselves from the God who's going to kill us. Here's what's beautiful about the gospel. In that context, in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus begins talking to his disciples about his sacrifice. He, the living God, was going to make. Not so that we don't die, but so that we may find life. This is the good news, that our God goes to Jerusalem to sacrifice for us. And what he asks of you and what he asks of me is that we would meet him in that place. That we would take up our cross because we are taking up the cross of the God who has already taken it up for us. And we are meeting him in that place. We are laying down our lives for him because he has already laid down his life for us. We are making everything about our lives about him because he has made his life about us. That's the good news of the gospel, that we are meeting a God that is already there in that place that he is calling us to go. And I don't know exactly what God has in store for one community church and what the future is going to look like. I do know that Christ will begin and continue to build his church. And I do know that wherever he is calling us to go, he's already there. And we can trust him because he is the God who gave up everything for us. 
He's the God who sacrificed for us so that we can find life. I want to invite the, the band to come back up as we close here. As I think about this day, I can't help but think about our first go, at least on paper, of what launch Sunday was going to be, Easter of 2020. And there were so many questions that we had. What God, what are you doing? <laughs> we planned all of this. Like we gained so much momentum. We, were, we had our own space. We were ready to go. God, what are you doing? And I had many days and many nights where I was questioning God and who he is and his plans. I may have even come close to rebuking at times. Well, God, if you're going to do this, then you need to do this, right? I had some of those moments as well. You know what happened is we just decided, well, <laughs> this is a time for us to serve. During the pandemic, we just started serving. We like went out and handed out PPE stuff. We, we handed out food. We adopted like a, a classroom and a school and provided computers and software and all that so they could do online training, online classes and all that, right? We just began serving in our neighborhood. That's all we knew we could do, right? We couldn't gather, we couldn't launch a church, like, let's get out and serve. And do you know what happened? The neighborhood became thankful that one community church existed. <laughs> we haven't had a worship service yet. <laughs> we don't have a building, nothing, right? <laughs> But they were thankful for one community church. You know, just this past week, um, one of the organizations that we help out with um, that picks up litter in the neighborhood, we were serving with them, and they, like, promoted us on their social media account. This is not a Christian, like, trash pickup thing. This is just a neighborhood organization doing, doing their thing, and we're volunteering with them, right? And they talked about one community church and the work that we were doing, helping them out. They were thankful for us. And not only that, they actually posted that we are launching this Sunday. <laughs> they celebrated <laughs> this day, right? The community, thankful that we existed. Celebrating that we're existing. I had so many questions for God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. The world seemed upside down. And it was because we needed to be upside down people, being changed by the kingdom. We needed to be the church before we even launched the church. That's what God was doing in our lives, right? I was trusting in him. And I just wanna encourage you, you may not be able to see it right now, but there may be some things like that you're just thinking about that you're experiencing. You just don't know what God is up to and it's so confusing for you and you just don't get it. And you may not see it right now, but God is doing a work in you. He's doing a work in you. And he's not the God who's gonna change all of your circumstances. That's not what it's about. He wants to change you. Because he wants you to be the person he's calling you to be. And the only way that that happens is that Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is killed and rises from the dead three days later. I want to invite you to come to the cross, to recognize that the kingdom of God is upside down. It's unlike any other kingdom. And the way for us to be a part of it is for us to be upside down people entering in through the cross of Christ. 
Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has gone out of his way for us, sacrificing his life for us so that we may be made new, so that we may be forgiven of our sin and made new. We celebrate Jesus today. We celebrate the work that is happening, even right now in our midst, the new church that has been launched because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of his resurrection. And Father, when everything seems to not make sense, would you continue to make us into your image? (laughs) Would you continue to create in us the people that you want us to be, following and trusting you? Father, I want to pray for maybe that person in the room today that this might be the first time they process the gospel and what you've done for us. God, I pray that you would be with them. Speak to them. I pray you give them courage to maybe seek me out, to seek out a friend. Ask, what what does it look like to, to follow Jesus? What does it look like to trust in him? Father, we thank you for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.